0: Thank you for joining us for the study of God's word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through his word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. If you have your Bible, please find your place In 1 Thessalonians, in the New Testament, and we're taking as our text today verses 23 and 24 of chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. I will be reading from the New American Standard Bible and invite you to follow in your version that you have in hand. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is He who calls you, and He also will bring it to pass. Perhaps you remember the name Milton Pitts. If you do, you're exceptional because he's been gone for 27 years. We hope he went to heaven. If he knew Jesus, he did. But he was a man who was sanctified to be the barber of President Ronald Reagan. Now what do I mean by that? Reagan was his only customer. He was at the beck and call of President Reagan. He was set apart exclusively devoted for President Ronald Reagan. He had had that responsibility when Richard Nixon was President, He had that responsibility when Gerald Ford was president. He also finally had the responsibility when George H.W. Bush was president. He was sanctified. And when we think about this whole subject of sanctification, to our unknowledgeable ears, it sounds very sterile, doesn't it? A sermon on sanctification? Come on. Well, the good news is the Bible says this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That applies to you and to me. And we need to understand what that is. Well, let me divert myself a little bit and make note of the fact that the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31, it says Jesus is among other things our sanctification. The Bible says in the book of Colossians, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And we already have read how the scripture tells us that the Lord is at work in our lives to effect his purpose in and through our lives. With that as background, let's dig into this Passage of Scripture and then associated passages having to do with the whole issue of sanctification. Simply put, to be sanctified is to be dedicated to or for one or some act that God would have us to be dedicated to or for. And sanctification also could be known as that which is devoted, not just simply set apart but devoted, dedicated for the use of God and the glory of God. Who is the sanctification responsible to? Well it's responsible to God and as we read from the book of Leviticus chapter 20, God says I am the Lord your sanctifier. God is the one who sanctifies us. When did this sanctification process begin? Well, before time began, the Bible says, in Christ, we have been set apart before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in the sight of God. If we were to go to the Old Testament, to the book of Jeremiah, where we would overhear God saying to a youth, his name, Jeremiah, the great weeping prophet, before he became a prophet, This is what God said to him. Before I formed you in your womb, I knew you. Before you were born, you were sanctified. That's interesting. And he had been set apart in the heart and mind of God to be a prophet to the nations. Now, he argued with God about that. He said, wait a minute, God, I'm just a child. That's what he said. But God said, I don't care. I'm calling you to this, and I'm giving you this responsibility in the kingdom of God. If it were true for him, Jeremiah, it would be true for you and for me as well. It does something for me. It encourages me, not because I'm a pastor and I stand before a group of people like you who gathered to worship the Lord, but it encourages me when I'm not doing what I'm doing right now to think that God has a plan for my life. And it is a plan that's designed from before time. You think about all the people alive in the world today. We don't have the exact number, somewhere between seven and eight billion people. The Lord is conscious of every person. In His omniscience, and His omnipresence, and His omnipotence, He can have that kind of relationship with many hundreds of thousands, hundreds of millions, perhaps even billions of people at one time. And He has a plan for your life. It's customized for your life. In history, this matter of being sanctified is spelled out for us as well. As we've read in our passages of Scripture together, we are to be holy as God is holy. And by the way, the word holy is a daughter word from sanctified or sanctification. It's the adjective, actually, that substitutes in as a noun or an adjective that helps us to understand who God is. He's holy, and we're to be holy as He is holy. We're set apart for His usage, and we're to work out our own salvation, the Bible says, and the Lord is the one who is at work with us in this whole process. Remembering this, make no mistake about it, the Lord is the one who sanctifies us. How does he do it? Well, each member of the Godhead is involved in the sanctification process. Jesus, of course, is involved. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 12, the Bible talks about, Jesus suffered outside the city walls of the city of David, Jerusalem. And it was there that He shed His blood for our salvation, which includes our sanctification. And when Jesus died on the cross and shed His blood, the Bible says, His blood becomes our sanctification. Now what does this idea of the blood of Christ mean? We sang about being washed by the blood of Christ today. It's a good hymn, and there's much music that we sing that have to do with the blood of Christ. Simply put, whenever you read the concept of the blood of Christ, it has to do with the cross work of Christ. When Jesus was on the cross, and Jesus Christ became the focal point of all the wrath of God, which God had stored up from the time that man first sinned and all the sin that occurred between that time and his dying on the cross and then looking forward to the end of history. It included our sin too because he died for the sin of the world when he died there. He took our punishment upon himself in becoming sin in order that we might be right with him. The beginning point of our sanctification, the place that we must begin as we think about this whole matter of sanctification is with Jesus Christ. Jesus, sent by the Father, gave his life for us so that we, through his blood, his sacrifice, might know God and might know him and might know his presence in our lives, which will enable us to be men and women who are able to work out our salvation and consequently to be people who fulfill our intended purpose here. The Holy Spirit of God is also integrally involved in this matter. In the book of 1 Peter, in the introduction, this is what we read. He, Peter, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, talks about how the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. Jesus' blood, His work on the cross, is critically important to our being set apart and fulfilling our intended purpose, but the Holy Spirit works in us so that we can obey Jesus Christ is what the Bible says. Sanctified people are obedient people. And it's not a slavish kind of legalistic kind of obedience. It's based upon the grace of God. The Bible says in the book of 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, It says, you then be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We can't work our way into a relationship with God. In the book of Ephesians, as an example, the Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then it goes on to say that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but also that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Good works are a part of the Christian life, but they don't precede entry into the body of Christ and the family of God. They follow. Naturally, supernaturally, they follow. The Holy Spirit works in our lives, as does Jesus that we might obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll stay a little longer on the next matter as to how we get sanctified, and that's by the Word of God. Jesus prayed to the Father on the night that He was to be betrayed. His heart was undoubtedly heavy, and He said to the Father on behalf of His apostles, And if you read carefully the rest of the chapter on behalf of you and me, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The word of God, all of it, is fair game for the Holy Spirit to seize upon for you and me to grow in Christlikeness, to be people who fulfill our purpose of being people who are set apart, devoted to the Lord. It's not enough for us to do occasional reading of the Bible. If we really want to walk in holiness, sanctification, and therefore fulfill our purpose in life, what we must do is ask God to give us a heart to read the Bible. And not just to do it so we can say we have read it, but to read it so that we can feast on it exactly what Jesus said. He says man, woman cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Lord gives us the Bible. He has given us his Holy Spirit who interprets the Bible, having actually inspired the Bible to begin with. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He's the one who wrote the Bible through willing agents Prophets and apostles and others, wise people. And that word of God is designed to conform us to the image of God. Praise God for his word. We, of course, are to be responsive to God's work in us. It's a cooperative activity. Some of you know the name Paderewski. Paderewski was a virtuoso on the piano. And literally thousands of people would gather to hear him in solo concert. And one such concert was being held in one of the larger metropolitan areas of our country. A woman who was a lover of music, and she was especially fond of the way in which Paderewski tickled the ivories. She thought she would take her son with her, who had begun to play a little piano, and in her time of fantasizing about what could happen with her son, she thought maybe he would become a concert pianist too. She and he found their place, they were on the second row. They got there early and listened to the orchestra as it warmed up, and she got engrossed in conversation to the person who was sitting beside her and forgot her son. And then As she was turned away, she heard someone playing chopsticks on the piano that Paderewski was going to be playing on in a short while. And to her horror, when she looked up, it was her son. Her dreams went down the drain then of his ever becoming a concert pianist because of the fact, well, he was playing chopsticks. He knew a few Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and those kind of ditties that children learn when they first begin to play the piano. And then to her amazement, out came Paderewski, without interrupting this lad who was playing Chopsticks. And he wrapped his arms around and began to improvise and made a beautiful song out of that. Together they did a duet for that large throng of people Do you know we may be like that little boy in spiritual things? You may be here today and say, well, Mike, I don't know anything about God much. I believe I've given my life to Him, but I have so far to go. We don't have to do this alone. Do you understand? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to act according to His good pleasure. He has more at stake in your spiritual development than you do. He wants you to develop, and He's not in opposition to you. In fact, He is on your team. He wants to work in concert with you and accomplish the things He wants for you to do. We have Him living in us, and He will give us the power to accomplish what He would have us to do. Part of what he would have us to do is to come before him. Now listen. To come before the Lord and say, Lord, would you search me and know my heart? Would you try me and know my anxious thoughts? Show me those things in me that are counterproductive, that are not in keeping with your will, that are not serving you and they're actually hurting me. And Lord, I want you to reveal that to me. Would you please, Lord? You know that's a prayer the Lord will always answer because He wants us to be in the most correct relationship we possibly can have. And when He does, what do we do? We do what He says. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not... Uh, pass go and go on and pass jail, get out of jail, that kind of thing. That's not that kind of thing. It's his saying, I'm going to give you forgiveness and I'm going to show you how you can walk with me and grow and get closer and be useful to me and be sanctified. The Lord wants us to know that. Paul writes to Timothy his son in the faith in the book of 2 Timothy, and he says this, Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor. Have you ever noticed in your reading of the Bible that it's not infrequently that we run across the image of a vessel, and the vessel is representative of a person who knows Christ, in fact, Paul talks about this at length in the book of 2 Corinthians. And he talks about how we are vessels of clay. Just ordinary earthenware. But then Jesus Christ comes by the Spirit to live in us and all of a sudden we become something that is invaluable because of the one who indwells us. And God delights in taking the foolish things of the world to scorn the wise. He takes the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God specializes in using people who don't feel like they have anything to contribute. And he fills us with himself. And we become vessels for honor. Cleanse yourself. If a man cleanses himself, a woman cleanses herself of those things that God reveals when we ask God to search us and pinpoint those things in our hearts that are not in keeping with his will and we confess those things and we're cleansed. He uses the same word in 2 Timothy. cleanses himself from these things as he uses in 1 John. Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The word cleanse, listen to the way it sounds in the original language. It's the word katharizo. It's a medical word. It's a psychological word. A catharsis in the psychological realm is when you reach a place and you find deliverance from a difficulty. And when sin is controlling our lives as believers and we hold on to that sin, it's the most miserable thing in the world. I have witnessed it and I have found it to be true occasionally in my own life that You're more miserable after you come to Christ and you live in a state of rebellion against God than you were in many times before you ever received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Why? Because you have someone else living inside you, and He is a Holy Spirit, and He doesn't do well when we are not following the Lord. But when we do come before the Lord, He gives us this catharsis and He cleanses us. Isn't it a relief when you give Christ control of your life? It's just wonderful to think about when He, when he does that. And he goes on to say in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, not only are we vessels for honor, but we're also, here's the word again, sanctified, set apart for God's use, devoted to Him. And then He goes on to say, useful to the Master, Think about this with me for a moment. To be useful to the God of the universe. We occupy a privileged position in Christ. And he uses us. There's hardly anything quite like that. To know that you're yielded to the Lord and being used by the Lord. The last thing he says, in addition to being a vessel for honor... Someone sanctified, useful to the Master, is prepared for every good work. We've already talked about how God has chosen us for good works, and we know from what Jesus says that we're to let our light shine by doing those good works in such a way that men will glorify God because of the way we go about ministering to them in the love of God, and the love of Jesus Christ. He completes the thought when he said, Therefore, flee youthful lusts, and having jettisoned that, put that behind me, then we pursue righteousness, faith, love, and here's another word we've looked at today, peace. We flee those things that are destructive in our lives. We confess and repent of those. Then we go forward, and we follow the Lord who himself is righteous and faithful and loving and peaceful. And the good news is that we are participating with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the whole matter of our sanctification. Jesus, in that same prayer that I alluded to earlier where he says, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. Two verses later, he says this. He says, for their sakes, he's talking about the apostles that he had just been with, but not only about them. Here again, he's talking about all of us who know Christ. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. The little words in the Bible many times are overlooked and unaddressed. That word also would imply that Jesus himself had a habit of sanctifying himself by exposure to the word of God. We've already looked at how when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness and was tempted to turn stones into bread, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So. He was meditating on Scripture. And you know how I know that Jesus was? You say it was okay for him because it was easy. He didn't have to put forth any effort to do that. Well, he may have had a much easier time than you and I have in memorizing Scripture so he could meditate on it. But first of all, remember, where does he live? In you. If you know Jesus, he lives in you. You are no disadvantage when it comes to this matter of being a one who can understand the word of God. And you may not know it verbatim, but you know the ideas represented and you can present those to the Lord. Thank God that we have the word. But what we know from the gospel writers, he quoted three times each time in response to a certain temptation. And he quoted... All of those, two from the same chapter in Deuteronomy and the third from a nearby chapter. So it would be safe to say Jesus in that moment of great temptation, he was prepared because he'd been meditating on the Bible. We might even say he had a quiet time. Well, Jesus probably lived in a perpetual state of quiet time with the Father who's was always in conversation with him. I don't do that, I'm sorry to say. I'm hoping to grow in that but we all have the capacity if we know Christ to open the Bible, hear from Him, and we can, like Him, adopt His example. He says in the book of John 13, I have given you an example that you should follow it. And here we have in verse 19 of John 17, what does He say? He says, for their sakes, I sanctify Myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. We for one another's sake can do that. We for our wives can do that, men. We for our husbands can do that. We as fathers were right on the threshold of Father's Day. Don't you want your children to know God? You wouldn't be here on Sunday if you didn't have some inclination as a man to want to see your children know God and to grow in their walk with God and to grow in Christ-likeness. And that is our possibility. And we do it for the sake of others. We need to get off the whole notion that this life of following Christ is something that will simply benefit us. It does benefit us. And we're going to look at some ways in which it does. But what we need to know is there are people around us who will be benefited, and it May very well depend on our setting ourselves apart by working out our own salvation with fear and trembling and being holy, as God said, consecrating ourselves to borrow the phrase that's given in Leviticus chapter 20, and God will be glad to use us in that situation. So, what happens when we're sanctified to us? I I mentioned I was going to talk about some benefits. Listen to the benefits. In Jeremiah 29.11, one of the more familiar verses in the Bible, by the way, God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Now, the word welfare is the Hebrew word shalom. It's a greeting that Jewish people give to one another, but other Middle Easterners also do the same thing. And it's really a blessing, and it's incredible It's way more than when we would say peace to somebody. It's the absence of conflict. That's the Western viewpoint of this peace. It includes that, but it also encompasses everything that could be construed as good for you and for me. Everything God has designed for that purpose. So this is God's heart toward us. He knows the plans he has for us, plans for shalom and not for calamity to give us a future and a hope. God is anything but a killjoy. He is one who delights in blessing His children. However, He has a standard. The standard is that we are people who cooperate with Him in this process of sanctification. I'm not talking about the entry point into the family of God. I'm talking about everything that remains between that moment of being born again, to borrow Jesus' phrase, justified, to borrow Paul's phrase, which that act of regeneration and justification leads to a life that is free from fear, from the punishment of sin because Christ has died for it. We mentioned that earlier. The blood of Christ is the entry point of beginning our sanctification, but we are men and women who live in what one pastor said, the nasty now and now, it is, isn't it? How do we navigate that? Well, we navigate it by believing what God says, that He has a great plan for our lives. Jesus says in John 1425 27, excuse me, John 14:27 he says, My peace I give you, not as the world gives to you do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. Paul uses the same word Jesus uses in John 14 when he talks about his peace, shalom. Paul, remember, was a Jew. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He understood the Greek culture. He wrote what he wrote that we have record of in the Bible from the Greek language. And he was able to be used mightily among non-Jewish people. But he was a Jew first in his heritage. So he believed what the Old Testament said when it talked about shalom. And behind this word is that word shalom. And when Jesus talked about peace, undoubtedly he had shalom in mind. This is God's plan for us. That we have that which is best. Not just peaceful. That's one aspect and it's a big deal, isn't it? We've had to deal with a lot of disruption in our lives in the last 18 months. A lot of chaos. A lot of confusion. A lot of frustration. But with Christ, we're able to rise above that. Because we don't center our attention upon our circumstances nor upon ourselves. We don't anxiously look about us as the Bible warns us. Do not anxiously look about you because it's the Lord who is with us. And He is our peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. This section says in verse 23 of 1 Thessalonians 5, May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word coming is used frequently in the New Testament regarding the second coming of Christ. We will not be sanctified entirely in spirit, soul, and or bodies until He comes. When we see Him, the Bible says, when you see Him in the book of 1 John, you will be like Him. When we see Him, we'll be transformed physically. First Corinthians 15, read about it. it talks about how we're going to have a new body. And it uses what we would consider an oxymoron. It's a spiritual body. When we think of bodies, what do we think about? Physical bodies, right? But when we see Christ, when He comes again, we'll be changed and be like Him physically. But more importantly, we will be like Him spiritually. We'll be free from the capacity to sin. No more sin. We'll be able to be entirely sanctified at His coming. Even so, come Lord Jesus is what we can say with Paul and other biblical writers. But let's talk a moment about the spirit, soul, and body. We know what the body is. It's this earth suit that we were given at conception. It developed. It continued to develop. At some point, it begins to decline. We're in this body. God has given us this body. And remarkably, what the Bible says is that What do you not know that your body, talking to us as believers, if you know Christ, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the word for temple there is not the word that's used to describe the entire temple. It's used to describe the inner sanctum, the holy of holies. We who know Jesus are indwelled by the Spirit of God. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 12:1, he said, I beseech you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, that you present your body, a living sacrifice, holy. There's that word again, sanctified, acceptable to God. And renew your mind without being conformed to the world. Renew your mind. How do we renew our mind? Well, to begin with, we need to recognize that we are people who have the mind of Christ. When you come to Jesus, we have the mind of Christ just as surely that the people to whom those words were first written were the Corinthian believers, and they were baby Christians. They were carnal Christians. They weren't pursuing the Lord, but they had at their fingertips the mind of Christ because Christ lives in them. The Spirit of God lived in them. They had the Word of God. And God instills His truth in His mind in us. So we can think thoughts after Him. The body is important. Take care of your body. It's not yours. You've been bought with a price. It isn't ours, is it? We see our bodies as belonging to the Lord and ask Him, help us, Lord, to be good stewards of our body. What about the Spirit? I'm going to come back to the soul in conclusion what about the spirit when Adam and Eve sinned God had told them if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you will die we know what Satan said surely you won't die and talked Eve into taking the fruit and then she in turn talked her husband into it and he was held responsible Adam not Eve it's interesting because he should have been there and probably was there and heard all this going on and didn't try to stop her. He sh- should have and could have perhaps. But what we know is that when they were people who ate that fruit, did they die physically? Not immediately. Many generations later before they died. Did they die in their minds No, they didn't. How do we know? They could still talk. Adam spoke to God when God spoke to him, and it was intelligible conversation. What about their emotions? Did their emotions die? No. Because when asked, why do you hide yourself? Adam. And Adam said, because we were afraid. That's an emotion, isn't it? That part of him did not die. And his will did not die because he made a choice to hide himself. The soul, we know what the body is. The body is clear. The spirit's a little bit more vague to us. It's the place where God lives. God vacated that part of their lives. And that's why the Bible says, for instance, in Ephesians 2.1, when we are born into this world, we are already dead in our spirit god cannot live there because he cannot coexist with sin and our hearts are born with a tendency to sin we don't have to teach our kids to sin do we some of them are sweeter by disposition but given enough time even the sweetest child is going to show forth selfishness and you don't have to be taught that it's innate So. The spirit is where of a person with a little less is where God lives, but He vacated. But the good news is, in Second Corinthians five seventeen, the Bible says that the person who has trusted Christ is a new creation, and God has created us again. We're born from above. We were dead, but he comes and he regenerates us and he makes a place in us that was a dead spot and a live spot by coming in and dwelling there after we have trusted Christ for what he did for us in order to make us right with God. But in our emotions, in our will, in our minds, that's our soul, and our souls are messed up before we receive Christ. We are independent thinkers or we can't think at all. We don't feel like we make good decisions and we probably don't. And we also have all kinds of emotional challenges in our lives and we make bad choices. Well, let's think about what the word of God says. Now, how does God describe him in this beautiful benediction? Look at it again, verse 23 of 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete until the day of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is He who calls you, and He will bring it to pass. The Bible talks about the importance of peace in your mind and how you can get it. In Proverbs, excuse me, in Isaiah 26, verse 3, the Word of God says this, God keeps him or her in perfect peace whose mind is fixed upon God because that person trusts in God. And we can think properly as we keep our minds focused on the Lord. We take every thought captive. Now This is the ideal. I know it. But we don't want to sell God short by saying, Lord... That's perfection. I'll never reach it. And we won't in this life. But we want to grow in Christlikeness, correct? Work out your own salvation in hopes that God will participate with you. And you don't have to hope. It's real. He does participate with us. And he gives us perfect peace in our minds when everybody else is flustered with their lives and the circumstances because they're not focused on the Lord, you and I can have a sense of peace in our lives. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. Do you ever get nervous about things and anxious? Some of you are anxious right now. I get anxious, I don't know, I don't keep track of it, but I know I do, but I know when that Kind of scenario begins to rear its ugly head in my emotions, then I go to the Word of God, and I cannot recount the number of times I've gone to the verses I mentioned out of Philippians 4 6 and 7. And against my will now, my better judgment on the human level, what I do, I thank God, like He says, in everything give thanks. I thank Him. For the circumstance, that makes absolutely no sense from a human point of view, were it not for the fact that our God is a sovereign God who causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Yes, He even takes bad things that happen to God's people. And if we reorient our vision from where we are to Him, amazingly has a way of lifting us out of the doldrums because we take our eyes off of ourselves and we look at Him and we trust Him. Perhaps one, up until that time in my life, probably the darkest moment in my life, up until this point, and it's been over 20 years ago. Other things have happened along the way. And I was depressed. And all I wanted to do is get in bed, pull the covers over my head, and just feel sorry for myself. And I was doing a good job of it. And then I came; these verses came to my mind, and I began to quote them. And to the degree that I understand what they meant in terms of my participating and working out my own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God who is at work in me, I began to think about these truths and apply them in my life, those that are found in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And amazingly, within half an hour, the time that was the hardest time in my life to that point, the fog lifted. And I had no reason. My circumstances were the same. But the Lord gave me the strength to go forward and not be defined by those difficulties. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 48, verse 19, the Bible says If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Is your life different? Is your peace like a raging flood? It's inundated and there's no peace. Your life is like that. It's in overdrive in terms of anxiety. Well, back off and remember what God says that we are to yield ourselves to Him. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill our lives. And if we will get in line with what God wants for us, The promise is, and he's good on his promises. He never fails to keep his word. That he will change our turmoil that is like a raging river out of control to a peaceful life because we are trusting in him to do that. What we are to remember as we finish our consideration of this passage of Scripture is that We are to ask the Lord to sanctify us entirely, spirit, soul, and body. We need to pray that for each other. And so that we will be in the right place in relationship to God when Christ comes again. And he describes Jesus in a beautiful way. He uses this terminology often, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lordship is very critical to this whole matter of being sanctified. Peter, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. We must do that if we're going to be used by God. If we're going to overcome our own problems that we have created in some case, in others we had nothing to do with, but there are problems we can only overcome by yielding to the Lord. Would you bow your head? In the quietness of your own heart, if God has spoken to you about your need to be more fully sanctified, would you just say to Jesus, Lord Jesus, I want to set you apart now as Lord of my life. I ask You, Lord, not to be a sometime Lord, but an all-time Lord in my life. Forgive me for treating You like a rabbit's foot to pull You out of a drawer off a shelf when I'm in trouble. Thank You for rescuing me in the past. But Lord, I want to be steady in my walk with You. So I'm asking You, Lord, to set me on a new path as I yield to You as my Lord and not simply as my Savior. Thank You, Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank You for letting me know when I need to be more obedient and then giving me the power Holy Spirit, I want to ask You now if You would fill me, control me by Yourself. And Father, God, help me to embrace You as You are, not as someone has misportrayed You as being, that You have loved us with an everlasting love, and it's our own sinfulness and our own listening to somebody else talk about how you don't love us because there are troubles in our lives. Forgive us, Lord, and help us all to be men and women who follow you with a whole heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.